This episode is made possible thanks to our partners Endota. Endota spas, treatments, skincare products, and community are all built on an ethical and sustainable approach to help women be and feel their best through all stages of life. Endota skincare features the same quality products used in their in-spa treatments. For Australian-made skincare, visit their spas or go to endota.com.au. Hi, it's Lydia Fairhall, and this is Dumbo Feather Podcast. I'm a singer-songwriter, producer, and mother, and I'm about to share with you an essay I wrote last year for issue 64 of Dumbo Feather magazine. It's titled On Healing. In 2016, my partner and I bought a wooden cottage on 10 acres of land on an ecotone where the woodlands meet the foothills of the mountains. The area had been logged relentlessly in the 1950s. One by one, the tall trees of the old-growth cedar forest fell, and with each removal, another layer of camouflage was added to a way of life that the ancestors of this country had nurtured for thousands of years. In place of the old cedars stands a 35-year-old mixed forest of early adult grey gums, bunyas, bloodwoods, stringy bark, lemon-scented eucalypts, wattle, native grasses, lily pillies and tallow woods. Alongside weeds, mother-in-law's tongue, canna lilies and lantana, all underneath a revered and healthy canopy. A sadness lingers with the loss of the old trees and with them the old knowledges. Simultaneously, the young forest testifies that from brokenness comes deep transformation. And just as the bush here is in a deep multiplicity of recovery and loss, so are we. When we bought this place, we were living in the city. I tried to remind myself that a spiritual landscape was still present amongst the skyscrapers and freeways, and that no matter how far away we journey from spirit, dwelling in the politics of identity, colonial borders and separation, we can still find moments to bask in our truth as sacred beings. But over time, my ability to hold that truth had waned. The toxicity in the land, airways and waterways had seeped into my subconscious. And I found myself in a dark place, unable to switch off yet burnt out, standing at the edge of the river with two kids and a husband in tow. I couldn't afford to jump in. Whenever we had the chance, my family would pack our bags and fly out of the smog anticipating long days stretched out in front of us, full of relaxation, clean air and peace. The reality of those first few visits was far from the truth. In the early days, my time at the property was filled with a feeling of sickening dread. Night after night, I would jolt out of bed and pace the wooden floors until I could latch on to a thought, any thought, that would calm me. My mind was scrambled. I couldn't look out the window. The trees had a message for me and I didn't want to hear it. I deliberately walked a course that bypassed going anywhere near any openings to the house, which is not easy in a small wooden cottage designed to break down the barriers between household and nature. 
I was so out of balance with the wisdom of the earth and my own inner knowing that a terrible kind of grating occurred. The fast-paced, action-addiction part of myself, which had been running a company, touring the global circuit, managing a large budget, working in a highly dysfunctional environment, maintaining two properties, running a household, harshly scraped against the profound wholeness of country and the wisdom of the bush. And because I refused to listen, I misplaced the anxiety, searching bank account statements for an error that would see us lose it all, worrying about the health of my perfectly healthy children, thinking that everything we feared would come into being. Over time, my central nervous system would start to chill. A kind of spaciousness would gradually unfold, and I would recognize that recovery had begun. Finally, an acknowledgement that I had aligned myself with my surroundings was symbolized by the presence of a tawny frogmouth owl, a powerful medicine I understood as my mother's totem and a master of blending in with the bush. After two years of buying our place, the path opened up for us to permanently live there. I had finally heard the message that the trees whispered into my ear on the first night. When error triumphs, wisdom walks away. Although I had worked my whole life to be ready for a CEO role within an arts company, the moment I attained it, I felt like a wolf in sheep's clothing. The arts is a funny industry. Sometimes it talks the talk and walks the walk. But at large, it is unable to truly decolonize and forge a path of its own within a new economy. In a few short months of being in the top job, I had the sinking realization that we as a sector had become the very gatekeepers and paternalistic structures that most of these companies were initially created to challenge and reimagine. It was also painfully obvious that this was definitely not my calling. Without that ambition and loss of purpose, the life we were living in the city was unsustainable. I remember standing outside one particular theatre company utterly depleted after yet another three-hour meeting explaining the very basics of Indigenous self-determination and why it wasn't cool for non-Indigenous well-funded companies to be receiving Indigenous-designated funding to write Indigenous stories. At the same time, I was feeling distance from my own community for not being angry enough anymore. I leant against the fence, called my partner, and said, I cannot take another single step. We were ready for the perceived loss of moving from cities and what that meant for our careers. We were ready to let go of the ego of success and to embrace the humility of the bush. We started with nothing. We didn't care if we lost everything. We just wanted out. Within six weeks, we were gone. One of the most significant relationships in my life has been with my spiritual teacher, Curtis Yates. Curtis defies all of the usual markers of identity. Yes, he is a man in his 70s, a Sioux Nation descendant and the child of Joy and Frank. But he has journeyed so far into the depths of spirit that all of these physical markers seem secondary to who he really is. I met him when I was 13 and our student-teacher relationship lasted for over 25 years. It wasn't surprising that he was one of our first visitors after we had moved in. 
I didn't know it at the time, but my first year in the bush would be my last as his student. After a quarter of a century, I had finally unlocked all of the bounty and ease of the physical world. In that first meeting with him as a 13-year-old in the grip of an addiction that would last another eight years, I remember him saying, the outer world is a reflection of the inner world. Your whole world is your own consciousness projected out in front of you. What the hell? Growing up in an environment where systemic oppression and disadvantage was always bubbling under every injustice, where every individual failure could be explained through racism, poverty, unionism, Marxism and assimilation, and where every global political issue could be blamed on them, whoever they are, his teachings were a relief to my 13-year-old self, a breath of sharp, fresh air. And in that first meeting, where I was dragged to his house with my arms crossed, determined not to speak to some silly old fool who knew nothing about me and what I had been through, I felt closer to my old people than I ever had before. I felt the victim narratives fall away, and myself tuned into the creativity of country, and from there, a rising ability to create my own reality from a place of ease and vitality emerged. This hasn't cancelled out the deep compassion and empathy I feel for people who are living in oppressive systems, and it hasn't diminished the desire I have to advocate for change. But it did free me from being in the world in a way that made my body, mind and spirit sick. It is this same energy and feeling that I have used to dream out of being a suicidal, drug-addicted teenager, in and out of violent relationships and cycles of poverty, to who I am today. In this wisdom, I became determined to master self-responsibility. In these teachings, I have found freedom and forgiveness. As I began to settle into the surroundings of our bush block, I remembered this knowing from my childhood. But as nurturing as country is, it is also deeply unforgiving. There is no hiding from yourself. The ability to live in denial doesn't survive on country. The focus on physical death is less important in the bush. Sacrifices and blessings are made. Sun rises and falls. All things die daily. And all things leave the dreaming and go back to dream time. Over time, I have had to accept that so much of the pain that we spend our lives trying to control or avoid is because of our lack of understanding of death. In my letting go of fear of losing the physical, I was absolved of my previous inclination towards social justice and activism. On one particular hot and oppressively humid day, the rains finally broke, and after a few hours of downpour, I saw tree foam build at the bottom of the many trunks around my house for the first time. There was something about its presence that tuned up my system. The rain was so loud that there was nothing to do but watch. And after a few hours of deep listening, I was suddenly hyper-aware of everything around me. I could feel the story and energy of every single tree on the property. Tears poured down my face, and I was overcome by a deep wisdom and sense of compassion and caring that emerged from each of them. 
I wasn't surprised to read a few months later that trees have sophisticated social systems, nurturing stumps through root systems long after their trunks have been extracted and sending each other warning signals during times of distress. This is the first time that I fully understood the sentience of country. My relationship with it is forever changed. In that moment, I could feel the interconnectedness and love between all living things, whether we perceive them as good or bad, and I knew that the biggest environmental act of care that I could initiate would be to look after my inner world as the other half of the physical world. The inner climate change is the only act of environmental justice that will have any long-lasting influence on the natural world around us because we are country. There are days when the guidebook and code of ethics in nature is easy to read. Other days when it requires immense stillness and quiet. There were many days in the beginning where I would thrash against it like a wild dog in a cage. But these trees are a daily reminder that despite colonisation, transformation often comes from brokenness. And no matter how far we swing into a Western patriarchal and capitalist paradigm, we are still able to journey back to our true selves. I have only uncovered a small section of the map so far, and I suspect it will take me to the end of my days and another few lifetimes to see the whole route. But when my own totem appears to dive and bathe in the bird baths on the back veranda, I know I am on the right track. Thanks again to Endota for partnering on this episode of the Dumbo Feather podcast. If you're after quality Australian-made skincare, visit one of their spas or go to endotaspa.com.au.